What's going on, everybody? Mike Curlin here of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and I'm stoked to be collaborating with Rotoballer again in 2021 with the Bases Loaded Podcast continuing as part of the Rotoballer Radio Network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy baseball fanatics their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer's 2021 MLB Draft Kit is live, and all Bases Loaded Podcast listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's Draft Kit by using the discount code BASESLOADED. That's bases loaded, all one word. Rotoballer is home to number one fantasy pros accuracy ranker Nick Mariano. Nick's 2021 rankings and projections are available as part of the Rotoballer draft kit. Along with printable cheat sheets, our top draft sleepers, more than 300 2021 player outlooks, and all of this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with the discount code bases loaded. Just go to rotoballer.com slash bases loaded and get your draft kit today. Is loaded and one out. Oh my Central. god, deep to right field, way up there, and way out of here. Second deck, walk off home run. Grand slam. Hello and welcome in everyone to episode 148 of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. And tonight we are talking week two of the lineup takeaways, but the recap version. This is literally coinciding with my weekly article, as well as that chart you can find on my Twitter. Again, that's Mike underscore Curland. It's pinned to my Twitter right now. I've gotten some great feedback on this podcast. This is going to be an in-season regular episode as well. It's going to just recap weekly lineups, trends, playing time situations, stats that go along with things that might support a certain argument of sorts or a player moving up and down, etc. But this week... It's a little late. I apologize. It's dropping a day later than it usually would. Typically, it would drop Sunday mornings or Saturday. But with spring training, I traveled recently. I just got back in today after driving four hours each way each last two days. So eight hours of driving, a little tired, but coming at you with this stuff. So without further ado, we're just going to dive right in. And again, we're talking about updated trends. If you want to hear more about like every single team, week one had a little bit of every team. This is still touching on most teams, but week one told us a lot. In week two, we didn't see a lot of change for some teams, so there was nothing to really update on them. So again, this is just touching on week two, things I found in terms of manager quotes, overall, just trends we're watching, maybe some production to follow. We shall see. But let's start with word on the street. This is a part of the article and that where I pretty much talk about different managerial quotes I find. I go through mining any of uh, articles and stuff just trying to find anything on lineups and this week we have about five teams that we have some type of word from a beat writer or from the manager themselves in terms of what to expect so starting with the red sox this is one quote in terms of kike hernandez leading off we'll see how kike handles the leadoff spot up there cora said i want kike to be aggressive you know i want kike to hunt fastballs and do damage early on that's why i'm going to challenge him and see where it takes us since Bogarts has entered actually lineup, and now this is not the quote anymore. Since Bogarts re-entered the lineup, he's only DH'd, but at least he's hitting. So we know he should hit third. That's where he's been hitting the last few days. Well, that puts that keeps Verdugo hitting second. We saw today, Sunday, Devers actually hitting fifth. And if that's the case, we could be seeing a top five of Kike Hernandez, Alex Verdugo, Xander Bogarts, JD Martinez, and Rafael Devers. And right now, Kike Hernandez is embracing the leadoff role. 
In eight games started or played, I should say, he has 22 plate appearances, batting 400, 591, 800. That's his triple slash right now. That is a that's great. He's he has six walks to just three strikeouts. He has a home run. He's doing everything to show Cora has a reason to be confident in him. Cora is giving him free run at the leadoff spot. He's taking advantage of it early in spring. We'll see if this continues and see or see if he fades going into the final two weeks. But as of right now, Hernandez seems to have a, a pretty much I wouldn't say a stranglehold on it, but he definitely has a, a strong grip on that leadoff spot. Moving over to the same division, but different team, Toronto Blue Jays. We just it looks like there's gonna be a lot of moving parts. And in reference to one particular lineup, Antoya essentially said he liked it the moment he wrote it down. It's it was a lineup that featured a lot of the regulars, but the problem is, is he's also pretty much saying, "Hey, it's going to change all year." The only thing I feel locked that feels locked in is the top three in some order. Springer seems like the leadoff guy; he has yet to do anything else really. Followed by Marcus Simeon and Bo Bichette. Those three should hit top three ninety percent of the time, at least to start the season, until someone proves they're not worthy of it. I should say. And then Kevin Biggio, we've seen him batting seventh essentially in all these lineups recently. If he's batting seventh. You got to think that it's going to be mixed around in between the here. He said to be mixed after top three. It's pretty much like whatever he feels like doing. We saw Biggio today about fifth, but that was with a few pieces missing. So we don't really know what to expect. But I think Biggio is more likely slotted to the seventh spot around that range. More times than not, Telez might when he's in the lineup, he said he's probably going to hit closer to the middle of the lineup. We don't know what to expect with this Blue Jays lineup. Unfortunately, we just know the top three seem to be intact, which again, Simeon had getting the spot over Biggio. Even if you don't agree with it, like I don't agree with it, but that just shows you I'm not being biased. I'm literally taking the info at hand and applying it between the statements, between the overall like trends we're noting. It's all suggesting that it is Simeon's job at the top of that lineup. Moving over to the Texas Rangers, Isaiah Kaifalefa seems to be the potential leadoff man. And this is a direct quote from the manager as well. If he keeps swinging like he has, he has to stay there, Woodward said of Kiner Falefa, who walked to lead off the game and has four walks this spring. He continues on saying, he's seeing the most pitches of anybody we have, and that's not typically what we expect from him. When he swings, he's hitting the ball hard, and he's also seeing a lot of pitches. Those two things don't always go hand in hand. It shows he's controlling the strike zone, both hitting the ball hard when he swings and not missing pitches. We know this about Falefa, though. He kind of showed that he could be this type of guy last year in terms of having good contact rates and being able to put the bat in the ball. But it's the walks that are encouraging. If you want, you know, a team wants a guy at the top of the line who can walk on base, he's showing early on a willingness to walk. But in regards to Leody Tavares, he's got to earn his way back up there. The at-bat quality hasn't been what we'd like to see, is the quote that the manager gave for him. He says that and then follows up the next two games by leading off Leody Tavares. So there is some weird like situation going on there. Tavares very much could still be in the mix to lead off, but it sounds like he's not guaranteed as much as we thought he would be. He hasn't been playing very well either. Prior to Sunday's games, Leody Tavares is, excuse me while I look this up, he's batting 176, 222, 294 in spring training with five strikeouts, one walk. And he has, but he does have the one stolen base. So at least he's doing that. The problem is, is that that bat has some holes in it. That swing has some holes in it, I should say. And although he's a speed first type of guy, it only covers so many holes, especially if they want you to be leading off. So we'll see if he picks this up, 
picks up the pace a little bit and maybe earns that leadoff spot. But right now he is not. And spring training stats don't matter to us usually. Like when you're an analyst, you're looking at stats. Spring training stats don't really matter a lot. However, I think they hold some merit when you're talking about lineup spots, when you're talking about positional battles. That the team is wants to see how players perform. And if the player if the player's performing poorly, they're not going to get those spots or increase their lineup spot or they're not going to win the, the jobs, et cetera, et cetera. So you're going to see me reference stats, and all these stats are prior to Sunday games, by the way. So if you're listening to this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, first off, thank you for listening. Second off, these stats are going to be a little dated because these are updated prior to the Sunday games, which, again, I'm recording Sunday night. So the chart itself, like my little chart I created, the stats I usually up, up, upload there haven't been updated yet. Regardless, getting back to my point is that stats don't matter except for in these small situations. Like when you want to see how a guy's doing, is he walking uh, compared to striking out a lot last spring? Is he working on an approach or a swing change? And are the stats coming with it? There are times when stats matter, but I still don't truly hold hold them like tightly. Like I don't really hold them in high regard because it's spring training. Players are working on things, but they matter in certain situations. That's all. I just want to really stress that. So let's get back on track here. Move on over to the Seattle Mariners, which we've seen this and we'll get to it as well. But according to Corey Brock, on Twitter, who's a beat writer for the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners could use Mitch Hanniger and Dylan Moore at times hitting leadoff, obviously in addition to J.B. Crawford. That's what his tweet said. We've seen as much as well recently, including, again, Sunday's lineup. I think it's back-to-back lineups where, we had, where we've had Hanniger and Moore hitting 1-2. I think Hanniger's going to hit leadoff regardless. He's going to be batting at least second. That's what they've been trending from since the beginning, and he should be batting second, Hanniger, that is. And maybe, though, if Crawford's struggling or if his leash, his leash could be a little short. And if his leash is short, maybe these two guys move up real quickly in the lineup, Moore taking the second spot, Hanger taking leadoff, and Crawford dropping to the fifth or sixth spot where Moore is expected to hit. So there's a lot of moving parts there, a lot of moving pieces potentially. But right now, I think it's still Crawford's spot, although it isn't a sure thing. Again, we're seeing a little bit more of Hanager and Dylan Moore at the top of the lineups of late. Houston Astros... Dusty Baker said the two leading candidates, and that's in quotes from Chandler Rome, to hit leadoff for the Astros are Miles Straw and Carlos Correa. Funny that this would be said because that's pretty much what we'd see those two leading off throughout spring. And then you get today Jose Altuve leading off with Correa batting third and Straw batting eighth. I think for Straw, it really is at either leading off or bottom of the lineup, no in between. Correa can still find his way into the middle of that lineup, and Altuve is probably married to the top, hit batting first or second. And right now, as of again, prior to Sunday, Craya has led off three games and he's batting 267, 353, 267. That's not the best OPS. I mean, that's not the best slugging percentage or OPS for that matter. But the batting average is decent and the, and the OBP is solid. Miles Straw, however, 421 batting average, 421 OBP. So obviously he's not walking much right now, but he has a track record of walking. But that's with a slugging percentage of 579. And Miles Straw has let off six games. He is outperforming Correa at this moment in terms of leading off, not only statistically, but overall reps as well. So I think Straw has the inside track as of now. And going back to what you know we talked about in week one, we saw Dusty Baker pretty much describe Miles Straw as his ideal leadoff hitter without saying his name. So we'll see. Again, still a lot to monitor. But I would say if I had to guess right now, it's Miles Straw's job. Let's go ahead and jump over to the lineup trends. Now that we've gotten through news and notes, essentially, or player, you know, what's the world of the streets, what I call it. 
I need to get a cool little drop to make it a little sound or something. But anyway, let's start with the NL East. The Miami Marlins, we have a good idea of how this lineup was is going to roll out. But I think Garrett Cooper's pushing for some playing time, and rightfully so because that bat can play. But they signed Adam Duvall. They have Azus Aguilar coming off of pretty much a, a, a rebirth is the word that's going to come in my head. But uh, he broke out pretty much again or broke back out, bounced back, I guess is the proper term. But as of right now in spring, again, prior to Sunday's games, Garrett Cooper, Jesus Aguilar, and Adam Duvall all have one home run. The big difference is, is Duvall is the one completely struggling right now, batting .095 with an OBP to match and a slugging of just .286, whereas Jesus Aguilar and Garrett Cooper are, actually, are absolutely matching the ball, both of which are hitting near 400. Garrett Cooper hitting a little above, Jesus Aguilar hitting a little below. Both have slugging percentages over 600. Maybe Garrett Cooper can push uh, Duval out of the job. I haven't read anything about it. Maybe Duval wasn't guaranteed a spot when he got signed. Maybe it was just a for like who's going to win it is who's going to win it thing. I just think Garrett Cooper is going to get some meaningful bats this year, regardless. And I think those three are going to kind of eat from each other, each, eat from each other's plate, so to speak. But we'll, again, time will tell. These are just things I'm picking up on as I'm watching lineups. Atlanta Braves. I think they showed their hand and. This lineup that they put out on 3-11, March 11th, really has opening day vibes, as I've been calling it. Leading off with Ronald Cunha, two-hole hitter is Ozzy Albies, followed by Freddie Freeman, Marcel Zuna, and Darno. This That puts Swanson in the sixth spot, Riley in the seventh, Pache in the eighth, and then Pitcher in the ninth. Right, It showed Jake Lamb in the ninth, but there's no D. I doubt there's going to be a DH in the NL. He looks like the guy who would be losing out on the playing time without the DH if... Riley struggles. We could see Lamb eat into his playing time. But again, that's not something I'm worried about in the immediate future. Just something to keep in mind. As someone who's really in on Riley this year, it hurts me to say that. But Jake Lamb can still do Jake Lamb things and get in the way. Regardless, though, I think this is um, a pretty solid idea of what that lineup's going to look like. The only thing is, is maybe Inciarte steals the job from Pache. I still think Pache has the inside, uh, the inside path to it. But... I think Inciarte is a little more of a problem than we may think. With the Phillies, it appears they have a top five, at least the way they've been doing it, has been Andrew McCutcheon, Reese Hoskins, Bryce Harper, Didi Gregoris, and Gene Segura. But that's without JT Romuto, and I think Alec Bohm should slot in somewhere among those five as well. We'll see. That's a uh, situation to monitor, but that lineup is solidly really good. Uh, quietly, not solidly, quietly solid. Especially once Romuto gets back, put back in there and Alec Bohm finds his spot. New York Mets, again, another team that probably showed their hand. They put out a, they've put out a couple lineups out, but this one is the one, again, going back to March 11th. Brandon Nimmo leading off, followed by Francisco Lindor. Those two will be hitting top two more times than not, it seems like. They seem to only bat there with the occasional Nimmo moving down. I think Nimmo can still move down against lefties. And Pilar, who, who's known to hit lefties really well, could either platoon with Nimmo or outright just, you know, play in line with Nimmo, but start or lead off against them, I should say. Michael Conforto batting third, P. Alonso fourth, Dom Smith fifth, Jeff McNeil sixth. That really, not that it hurts Jeff McNeil a ton, but ideally a guy that feels like more like a compiler with Jeff McNeil's skill set, batting sixth is a little bit of a hit to his value. J.D. Davis seventh, I think we see a lot of like defensive replacement stuff in games with him because Guillaume is going to get his one way or another. Um, James McCann batting eighth and Albert Amora batting ninth. I think Amora is going to be the odd man out here in this lineup. But again, another guy who can play defense late in games and take advantage of things. Moving over to NL Central, St. Louis Cardinals. 
I think we have Tommy Edmund, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado locked into the top four in some order. With you could put Young in or DeJong in seconds in the two hole. You could put Carpenter there, move Tommy Edmund to the outfield. I don't know, but I do know Dylan Carlson continues to be finding himself towards the bottom third of the lineup. And on Sunday, he batted second. That was with Edmund, Goldschmidt, and Arenado out of the lineup and DeYoung. So you had three guys out of the, sorry, four guys of their top five usually out of the lineup. And Carlson bats second only because of that, probably. But again, when you have six strikeouts through 18 at bats and batting just 222, 300, and 222 as a triple slash, that's not going to do it for you. We've been we've seen quotes about how Carlson could be a top of the lineup hitter and probably will be, but I think he's still gonna have to earn it. He's still a young kid. He still doesn't have much playing time. So Carlson's gonna be a guy that he's gonna have to really his work his way up. That lineup is pretty solid ahead of him, and it's not a guarantee he gets up there soon soon. But do I think Carlson will get up there eventually? Of course, but still gonna be some growing pains. He showed it a little bit last year, came back, finished off strong, but just because Carlson finished off strong doesn't mean he's gonna start off strong as well. The Brewers, Jackie Bradley Jr. finally made his spring debut, but he let off. That's probably just to get reps in. I don't see that sticking. Avisel Garcia consistently hits in, inside the top four, and that's with Lorenzo Kane obviously not playing, but his status is still pretty much or very much up in the air. So if Kane is not you know, coming back anytime soon, Garcia should continue to see those everyday playing time, those everyday bats, I should say. But Garcia is also earning it. He has two home runs while batting 450, 476, 800 so far in spring. The dude is crushing, absolutely crushing. There's no way in that team. If you look at that team, they don't have a lot of good bats. There's no reason Garcia should not be the starting guy. There really isn't. There's just no good reason in my mind that Garcia should not be the guy. Looking at the Pittsburgh Pirates, Kevin Newman's Kevin Newman's been out with an injury, but that is obviously not. An issue, although Newman was hitting half decent prior to being kicked, uh, taken out of lineup due to injury, but he returned today, let off, but he DH'd. Don't know if he's on the outside looking in. Not sure if, uh, if Newman is going to be taking those source out reps over Eric Gonzalez, or if they just seem to really, they seem to really like Eric Gonzalez. He's been with the starters or with what appear to be starters all spring training. He's been playing second base shortstop every time, but with Frazier back, Frazier's done nothing but lead off, and now he's back to second base, so he's playing the field again. Gonzalez then moved over to shortstop, leaving Newman as the potential odd man out here. We'll see how it plays out. Newman was hitting well again to start spring training, so we'll see if he gets another opportunity to prove that he could still do it. The Cubs have been showing us lineups over and over again with Baez hitting about fifth, always missing a piece. It would be like Baez hitting fifth with Contreras is out for the day. Baez hitting fifth with Bryant's taking a day off. They gave us a lineup where it was everybody, Ian Hap, Contreras, Jock Peterson, Chris Bryant, and Rizzo, all five of those guys. And then Baez was batting sixth. I think Baez could be batting fifth or sixth most this year until obviously he could hit his way up. That's that's obvious. But at least to start this year, we could see Baez hit it batting fifth or sixth. And I'm sorry, but when you're picking Baez in fantasy, you're hoping to get a three-spot hitter, maybe a four-spot hitter. And anytime time a guy who's going to be batting fifth or sixth, a guy who there's so much volatility in that profile, you kind of depend on those at-bats to help make it up. And if he's losing some of those at-bats by batting just that's a little bit lower in the lineup, Baez's overall production can take a hit ever so slightly, which alters his value ever so slightly as well. The San Diego Padres, Trent Grisham, appears to be in the driver's seat as everyday leadoff hitter, but we saw him go down with a little bit of an injury, grade one hamstring strain. He should be back sooner than later. I'd say he comes back before spring training even ends, which puts him in line to probably start the season. 
and he should be leading off every day unless he can't hack it. Jake Cronenworth, I think he's the favorite to play second base almost every day. In spring training, we're seeing him consistently play second base. And like today, when he wasn't at second base, he played first base because all the starters were pretty much out and he still got reps at first base. I think Jake Cornworth is being underappreciated and slightly undervalued because people are so concerned about Kim. And Kim will play around the infield, but he also has options. He's allowed to be sent down according to his contract. And so far in spring training, Kim has hit a whomping 111, 273, 111 triple slash. With four walks, but seven strikeouts. And then this is again, this is just in 22 play appearances. So Kim has, you know, had a little bit of a, sh- a slow start adapting this to major league pitching, and he hasn't even seen the best yet to come. So that's my concern with Kim. I think we could see Kim even go down or be relegated to a not everyday role, but I think he might go down because he needs those at bats, give him like steady at bats. He's a guy that, I mean, how do you expect someone to get better if he's not getting steady at bats? If Kim goes down, it shouldn't surprise anybody. But Cronenworth seems very much locked and loaded. And Cronenworth, it's not that he's like doing, oh my God, amazing things, but he's batting 316, 350, 368. So he's not hitting for much power, but the batting average and on base skills are there. And I think obviously the speed will come. He has a caught, he did get caught stealing, unfortunately. But I think he's still going to get you like close to 10 stolen bases on a full season, maybe seven. But I think he's going to be solid for batting average. He's going to provide a little bit of power and Cronenworth. We'll get you some speed because that team likes to run. And he should play more times than not. I think he's back to being – I think we overcorrected with Jake Cronenworth, letting him fall a little bit too much. But people are like, oh, what, what about Profar? Profar has yet to see a rep in the infield. I think he is pretty much being utilized as the outfield depth. Right now with Grisham out, Profar is the one playing the outfield. Kim hasn't played the outfield. Cronenworth hasn't played the outfield. They can, but we're seeing Profar pretty much take those reps. And I think Profar is going to be the guy that plays the outfield when there's an outfield injury. Gavin Lux can be can be earning the second base job for the Dodgers, but I don't think that's going to be the case because Chris Taylor is also pretty much stating his claim by how well he's hitting. However, it's it's un, it's frustrating because Gavin Lux is playing a ton of second base. He's hitting well, but it's because Bellinger's out and Chris Taylor's kind of bouncing around, playing center field, playing all playing this, playing that. I think they want to see what Lux can do, but with a full lineup. I think Taylor might still have the inside track to second base. And as of right now, Gavin Lux has played seven games. Six of them have been at second base, one at shortstop. Chris Taylor's had six games, two at third base, two at second base, two in center field. So again, he's being utilized in that manner. But will he need to be utilized in that manner when Bellinger returns? I don't think so. And Chris Taylor right now is outperforming Lux. Even though it's not by a ton, it's it's enough. Batting 357, 438, slugging 857. The slugging percentage is the big difference. Because Lux is slugging only 368, but but Lux is doing is holding his own. Lux has a 316 batting average with a 316 OBP, but no home runs. Chris Taylor has two, so Chris Taylor is earning every bit of that of that spot over him right now. Again, if spring training stats matter, it's in a position battle like this. Maybe Lux is showing enough with the hit tool that they'll say, okay, well we know what Chris Taylor kind of is. Let's give Lux a shot and let Chris Taylor spell him slash be the super utility guy. He knows that role well. That could happen. But without any type of indication of that happening, I'm willing to I'm, I'm going to be a little pessimistic on this one. Colorado Rockies, it's kind of a mess again. Don't really know what to expect now that Brandon Rogers left. I think we know Rymel Tapia, Ryan McMahon, Trevor Story, and Charlie Blackman should bat top four-ish. Though three of those four, uh, Tapia, Story, and Blackman, definitely in the top four with McMahon, who's been trending as being the two-hole hitter with all four of those guys in. We'll, we'll watch that, but with Rogers out, we don't know how long 
We don't know how it's going to affect teams. Does Hilliard get the playing time? Does Owings get the playing time? I think Hilliard should, but it's the Rockies. Rockies going to Rocky. Hilliard has looked okay in spring. Nothing like it's good and bad. It's like not bad, but it's just like not flashy. He has three stolen bases, no home runs, but we know the power can be there. Hilliard's also struck out seven times, but he's walked four. So the swing and miss is still there, but there's a little more patient of an approach. Batting 286, 400, 282 slug. That's the problem. But the on base is there. Batting average is there. It, maybe he's refined his approach a little bit, a little less free swinging, a little more patient, allowing pitchers to pitch to him. And that's what's getting on base more. But again, nothing spectacular. Nothing that says, oh, I got to have this job. Chris Owings, though, not like he's doing much better. 222, 318, 556. So although the batting average is a little bit worse. The, the OBP is about league average or would be league average at 318 and slugging 556, which is by far better than Hilliard. Similar, you know, similarly, he has six strikeouts, three walks, actually has a home run and a stolen base, though. And they've seen, they've shown a willingness to want to get uh, Hilliard. O- Owings involved. They keep bouncing around the infield, bouncing around the outfield, getting reps pretty much at a bunch of different positions. Maybe he can be the Rockies utility player, super utility player, but I think Owings is sneaky for NL only type of formats, deep leagues where all the at-bats matter. I think Owings will find his way into quite a bit of them, considering how they want to use them or how they have been using them in spring. Maybe it's because of injury, or maybe it's just because they want to see what he can do, but Josh Rojas has played a ton against both left-handed pitching and right-handed pitching. He typically sticks towards the top of the lineup, but we just need to see how the playing time unfolds when Nick Ahmed and Cole Calhoun return, both of which are out, and both of which are probably guaranteed starters, which leaves Rojas kind of battling as Drupal Cabrera, I guess, for a starting spot, which, again, I doubt they are going to stop Rojas for a Cabrera, but maybe. I mean, we've seen it before. Cabrera eats into some of these guys eating time, uh, playing time. We've seen him eat into Carter Keybooms. We've seen him, like, now he's blocking Rojas, among other people, or could be. It's just the pain in the butt. It's something that I'd, <laughs> I'd rather not deal with. I want to see Josh Rojas play, but right now it's just one of those cautious optimism type of moments because – as much as I want to see Rojas do something, it gets real crowded when that team gets healthy. We talked about the Red Sox already, so we can move on over to the Blue. Oh, we talked about the Blue Jays already too. Orioles. We may not know all the specifics of the lineup, but it appears to be like the Cedric Mullins has the inside track towards that center field job. We've seen him play twice with Austin Hayes, and both times it was Mullins, not Hayes, but Mullins leading off and playing center field both those times with Hayes getting a corner outfield spot. And to me, that's telling because not that it's not, it's it's over. Not that oh well, Hayes is automatically out already, but it's showing me that their confidence in Mullins holding both the leadoff spot and the center field spot is there. And Hayes could be on the outside looking in when it comes to that. And people are like, well, there's playing time still in the corner outfields. Not when you have Santander and Mountcastle slated to start there. You have yeah, you'll you'll see Mountcastle probably play some first when Mancini goes to the DH or bench to rest. So Hayes will find a way to get his. Plus, he'll spell Cedric Mullins in the outfield. So I think Hayes is going to find his way into four games a week anyway without injury. But the fact that we have to sit here and manufacture playing time for a player isn't isn't exactly something I want to be doing. And Mullins batting 333, five, four, uh, three, 342 slugging percentage. So he's actually hitting the ball really well right now. And it's all coming in the form of doubles and triples because the speed is a plus tool. Only two strikeouts. And this is all in 24 play appearances. So. He's doing everything right to hold on to the to the role. And if we look at uh, Austin Hayes, he's not doing bad. One home run, one stolen bases, 
batting three, uh, 286, 375, 429. Kind of Austin Hayes-ish. Like, he's kind of just doing what we expect him to do. And this is not even with Camden Yards. So, I don't know, man. I think Austin Hayes deserves playing time. But where is it, where it's coming from, it's hard to say. Well, at least it's hard to say when it comes to playing every day, I should say. Moving over to the AL Central, the Twins kind of showed their hand today. Kepler continues to lead off or hit towards the top of the lineup, even against lefties. I'll believe that when I see that in season because we have a long tracker record of seeing Kepler bounce around versus lefties and righties. Plus, we know that it's actually well known the Twins will be mixing and moving things around. Players will get days off often. So, like Luis Arias, even though there's no track to everyday playing time, I think he'll get a good amount of at bats. We can probably peg him for close to 450 because there's, you know, you're going to get. Donaldson plenty of days off at their base because the DH is taken by Nelly. You're going to get Polanco days off and Polanco's going to move over to spell Simmons for his days off. And it's already known that the twins are going to be doing a lot of that in season. So we're going to see guys get their at bats right now. I think Kurloff could be held down for that service time because they kind of, again, the twins kind of, they did show their hand a little bit today and they had a starting lineup with every starter in, but Rooker in left field instead of Kurloff. And Rooker isn't like somebody who's going to be worth getting in the way of Kurloff, but it could be their way of blocking him for the time being. And he's not playing. Ter- I mean, he's batting 250 with a 583 slug right now. <laughs> so far in spring, Rooker is. So it's good enough to be like, yeah, it's, they want they want to see what they have in them. Kurloff hasn't exactly forced their hand batting 158, 203, 68 triple slash. He has the home run, but he also has seven strikeouts and 20 play appearances. So again, Kurloff hasn't necessarily earned the, the spot, and that's part of the issue. Moving over to the Indians, we've kind of got an idea that maybe Jimenez is the guy. They haven't outright said it necessarily, but but if you read between the lines, there is a lot of there's a lot of it. Like if you read between the lines, there's a lot of suggestion there that Jimenez is, is going to be the starter. And you look at the lineups of late, two out of the last four have had Jimenez batting second between their big names like Cesar Hernandez leading off, Jose Ramirez batting third, Eddie Rosario fourth, Fermo Reyes fifth, which pushes Josh Naylor down to six. And again, for a guy going outside the top 300, if he's the everyday six-hole batter for this team, and I mentioned the top five just now, there's a lot of sneaky RBI opportunities there. And Josh Naylor has a really good hit tool. And if some of the changes he made at the last, end of last season stick, he could really turn himself into a solid little value here in drafts, especially batting six for this team, where right now in spring, not flashy, but 263 batting average with a 333 OBP. That batting average will play with that lineup ahead of him. It'll, it'll definitely drive in plenty of runs, I'm sure. The White Sox, I just have so many more questions than answers. But I'm wondering if the three through five hitter hitters are kind of figured out. We're seeing with the last... In the last five starts, we've seen the White Sox put a three through five hole spot pretty much in this combination of Jose Abreu third, Yohan Moncada fourth, and Eloy Jimenez fifth. Moncada has hit clean up more than he's hit anywhere else this spring. And again, there's been five starts with these three at that combination with Tim Anderson leading off. It's the two hole. We don't know where the damn two hole is going to be given to. Is it Grand- Grandall hit there yesterday as the DH? Is it Luis? Ro- is it Luis Robert? Is it Adam Eaton? Adam Eaton seems like the favorite, but then he's never in there when the starters are. Are they giving Luis Robert a chance to earn it? Because are they just giving him reps at the top of the lineup as a young hitter because he needs them? And it's just all these questions and no answers. And then people want to say, "Oh, Andrew Vaughn's probably going to be breaking camp." I don't think so. 
Like I want to believe it, but I think he goes down for a couple weeks to get the service time he comes up. And a lot of it's Randall's not ready to catch every day. They're not rushing him back. Now there's still time to for that to change, but it but right now it's like they could use that as an excuse to again to suppress that playing time. Uh, do I agree with it? No, obviously not. But you can't I mean this is, it is this it's the system. You can't can't fault the team for taking advantage of it. But Luis Ro, Luis Robert could very well be earning that two-hole spot, getting back to him. Robert is triple slasher, 333, 360, 583 so far in spring. Only five strikeouts in 26 play appearances, which is really good for him, and one walk. So at least he walked. But he also has three stolen bases and a home run. He's doing everything. He's hitting for power. He's running He's running well. Everything he they want, they might want that at the top of the lineup. And I was a guy that thought Luis Robert, Robert was going to be buried, but he's very much in the mix to be at the top of the lineup. And let's look at Eaton. I haven't looked him up yet. Let's see how he's doing in spring. Adam Eaton's just Adam Eaton. A couple doubles, three walks to five strikeouts, so almost a one for one, 400 OBP, and a 267 batting average. The problem is that OBP is really solid. That could play at the top of the lineup too. <laughs> so that's why it's like it's not a sure thing. It's frustrating because it's not a sure thing because we deserve a sure thing and we're not getting one. But I don't know. I like to think that we know the obviously leadoffs to Anderson, the three through five hitters seem locked but we haven't seen grandall in enough lineups to suggest that maybe that grandall doesn't slip in there and mess things up i don't think he should i like this i like the abreu mancata eloy three four and five i think that'd be really solid but again we have to just take it all in and watch more that's what this is all about watching more we need to just keep watching this lineup we saw our first version of a lineup with the royals that had Honestly, mixed in with like the big five is what I call them with Whit Merrifield, Benintendi, Santana, Perez, and Solaire. And it was Mondesi that slot, slotted into the three spot. And Mondesi's been hitting third a lot this spring, but he also got a late start to camp. Is it just them getting Mondesi those reps? Do they want him to bat third in between all these guys that can get on base and hit him in type of thing? He's not an on base guy. I don't know. I'm starting to think maybe there's a chance for it. I was thinking that they were just getting them at bats, but because they're consistently getting them batting in the three spot, that could push down Solaire to the fifth or sixth spot, and that kind of sucks for Solaire because I think Solaire was primed for a four or five hole spot, and that's way more you know beneficial to his stat line. But it's still early. Montesi could very well be moving down. Ben Tenney can move down even. Montesi's pretty much Montesi has the he's the controller of his own destiny. According to like the manager pretty much said when he's hot, he'll move up when he's cold, he'll move down. So I think modesty pretty much is going to be a victim of his own, of his own circumstances. He's going to have the control of what happens. To him. Moving over to the AL West before we wrap things up, let's get to the Oakland A's. There's a chance that Elvis Andrews hits at the top of the lineup, but we can also see Mark Canna. We can also see uh, Ramon Laureano. It's actually been pretty much put out there that it's, open spot but then i think about it, i'm like there's two open spots then right because that means one and two should be open and right now the only one that's really earning it is ramon loriano two home runs one stolen base two strikeouts three walks but loriano's triple slash is 357 500 and one one thousand slug but this is coming from him batting fifth a lot however there's no way they're gonna leave him down at the lineup when they can use him at the top line because elvis andrews is showing elvis andrews things like he, they, i think they want him up there but he's not earning it, batting just 143, 250, 214 triple slash this spring so far. Mark Canna, not sexy. Has a stolen base, actually. Three walk, Four walks to three strikeouts, so he's walking more than striking out. Batting average is just 200, but the OBP is at 467. So a Mark Canna 
Ramon Laureano one two in this lineup makes a lot of sense to me. Obviously, Andrews. They, I think again, I think they want Andrews up there. I think the A's want him up there. But how are you going to want somebody up there who's not er- out earning the other two guys that are fighting for it? So I think Andrews still has a chance. Obviously, we still have a couple weeks left in spring training. Anything can happen. But I think it's Andrews that will take the hit here if he can't just earn his way up. The Seattle Mariners, we talked about them in terms of Moore, Mitch Hanniger, and J.P. Crawford. Well, if you look at their stats, Hanniger and Moore are very similar. Similar slugging, slugging percentages at 500 or better. OBP's around 300. People... Same batting averages. Dillmore has a stolen base and a home run. Hanniger has a home run. Crawford does have two stolen bases. So in deep leagues, you can get some speed here. But batting average is just 154 with a slugging of 154. What can keep him, what keeps him fighting for that OBP? What keeps him fighting for the top of the lineup is the OBP. I got ahead of myself. A 500 OBP. The dude's getting on base a ton. And as a leadoff hitter, that's what you want. And now you add in the, add in the speed element. Walking that much will lead to more stolen bases. I still think Crawford's going to be the guy up at the top of the lineup until he's not type of thing. He's going to have to earn it or lose it while the other two earn it. That's my two cents on the situation, but I could be very wrong because it's still, again, we have time to watch and we're seeing a trend of Dillamore and Hanniger batting one, two often lately. But again, I still think it's Crawford's job for now. The Texas Rangers, besides again, talking about the IKF stuff and the Tavares stuff, there's just a lot of, I don't know what to do with type of thing up there. Like this, this lineup is almost like the Rays. There's just so much going on. So many moving parts. You have Chris Davis batting against lefties and righties, but he's always in the middle of the lineup. You have David Dahl in and out. The one thing I'm looking at is Nate Lowe, Nate Lowe and Ronald Guzman. I see Ronald Guzman as a guy that can steal that job from him. You look at their spring training performances. And again, Guzman's coming in with a chip on his shoulder, playing well, saying he wants to be there, hasn't wanted to play in the past. Now he wants to play or something. And Nate Lowe, they did go out and trade for, but he hasn't done anything to earn it. No home runs, batting 176, 176, 294. That's his triple slash. But Ronald Guzman, two home runs, batting 353, 450, 824. The dude is crushing the spring. You have one guy who's absolutely killing it, another guy who's getting killed. Like, I don't know how you don't think that Ronald Guzman can't take some of that playing time away from Nate Lowe, if not just outright take it from him to start the season, and, and Nate Lowe being the one that has to earn it back. Like, we could be having a raise 2.0 situation here where Nate Lowe isn't as free as we thought he could be. And that pains me because I root for Nate Lowe, and Guzman's a free square right now in drafts. But I think Guzman can, and they're moving good. Like, see, here's the thing they're playing Nate Lowe almost primarily at first base, maybe DHing him on occasion. Guzman, they move around to first base, to outfield, that, that to me says that they want to see what they can get out of them. Maybe put them, I mean, they want to see where they can get them around. They want to kind of get them into the lineup more maybe. But Lowe might be the first baseman until he's not. So he's going to, it's going to be his job to lose. But Guzman is earning it right now. I don't care what anyone says. Guzman, if right now I had to guess, I think Guzman steals it from him. But Nate Lowe still has time to kind of say, nope, hold up, I'm Nate Lowe. I got traded here for a reason. I'm going to go ahead and, earn the spot, but he hasn't taken it and ran with it yet. And I think they want to give Nate Lowe every opportunity to do that. Los Angeles Angels finally gave us lineups with Jared Walsh in it with the big names. By the big names, I mean Mike Trout, um, Rendon, and and David Fletcher, obviously. Otani hasn't been in either one of them, so we've seen Fletcher bat or Fletcher. We've seen well, Walsh, not the Welsh. We've seen Walsh bat third. With Otani in the lineup, you got to assume that's probably going to bump Walsh to the five spot. That's still solid. The five spot between uh, behind Fletcher, Trout, Otani, Rendon—that's that's a great. That's a gimme every day. 
But right now, even better, he's batting third between the middle of all of them. But again, that's without Otani in the lineup. So we'll see how that changes when Otani is a hitter. And last and certainly not least, it is the Houston Astros. We saw Jordan Alvarez, sorry, Jordan Alvarez play today. DH batted fifth. We don't know. We still don't know the leadoff situation with Straw and Correa. And we saw Altuve actually lead off today. So it's just throwing another wrench into things. So we ultimately don't really know what's going on there. I mean, we know like we have an idea of the lineup, but we don't know who's leading off. And that's going to change values of players relatively quickly. Just a couple position battles to watch on our way out. Shortstop for the Reds still hasn't been figured out from what I've seen. I think D strange Gordon has the inside job for it, which is very cheap speed, very late in drafts. You can get D Gordon. Who's I think he's actually doing not that bad. Let's look him up real quick. Again, these stats are prior to the um, prior to Sunday games. Yeah, D. Gordon is batting 313 with a 423 OBP, and he has two stolen bases this spring. Very much in the mix for that starting shortstop role. Kyle Farmer, Kyle Holder, and Jose Garcia are also in there. Josh Chisholm versus Isam Diaz. I, I've, always, I've been saying Diaz has the inside uh, track to that spot, but that's not a guarantee, obviously. However, John Heyman did weigh in saying the same thing, that the Marlins 2B situation expected to go to the wire. Isan Diaz may be a slight favorite, but Jazz Chisholm and John Birdie are very much in the mix. Right now, Diaz, Birdie. Birdie's like the only one that's doing very well. So I even said, he, I, I even mentioned that he could have the outside shot of getting it because Birdie's the only one hitting above 200. <laughs> Birdie's hitting 400, 600, 600. Stolen base, a couple walks, actually more walks than strikeouts. The other two are hitting below 200, absolutely struggling. Birdie is low key, like, the guy I think can take that job at least to start the season. I'm not saying he's going to have it all year, but if you can get him early, he obviously is willing to run. He should run often. Maybe he doesn't play every day, but he'll, this this whole two this whole second base thing being an issue opens up more at bats for John Birdie. And John Birdie is the most valuable fantasy asset of these three, unless obviously Chisholm can hit on that prospect pedigree and be the guy every day second baseman. Then he's obviously he has the highest ceiling, but Birdie has the highest floor and he has a track record. Something that these other two guys that are still pretty much prospects don't have. Centerfield for the Phillies, obviously, we're still watching for that. Second base for the Cubs, Bodie might have the inside job, the inside track to that one. I mean, because like today we saw like a pretty decent lineup of starters. He was the one playing second base with it, whereas Horner was DHing. Could be a platoon situation. I don't know. Sogard's been in the mix lately. I threw his name up there, but I really don't think there's much issue there. We mentioned the centerfield position for the uh, Orioles. And the shortstop situation, we again, we got a little bit of a hint that Jimenez has the inside track to starting every day, which puts Ahmed Rosario on the outside looking in for playing time as a whole and play appearances. And that's going to do it. Appreciate you listening. I love these podcasts. I think they're a lot of fun. It's straight to the point. A lot of information. Heck, I get to throw out numbers, which is always fun. <laughs> so, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. Continue following a lot of takeaways, the chart, the, the article, everything on Twitter, on Rotoballer. You can find it. Please, on your way out, if you're still listening, I greatly appreciate it. A five-star rating review goes a long way. Helps podcasts get some exposure on, I guess, like iTunes and such. Helps when people search for I don't know how it works. I'd be lying to you if I did, but I do know that it works. So, And I've gotten some reviews lately, got some ratings. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for those. Thank you for taking the time. And as always, the stuff's going to be coming weekly. Again, sorry for it being later than usual, but it will be on a weekend prior to FAB because I think this has the most utilization prior to weekly waiver wire, uh, any type of things that run on Sunday or Monday mornings. This information is very useful 
it doesn't it won't help you if i drop it before i drop it after sunday so essentially this is gonna be a weekend podcast the rest of the season just to, i want to reiterate that so thank you again for listening and of course we will just always as always we will talk to you soon